<laughs> so, um, let's talk about our mission. Uh, I was trying to think through, why are we doing this? What is, what's the mission? You know, every great organization, every great company, every great church has a mission. And Jesus told us his mission when he came here, Luke 19, uh, yeah, Luke chapter 19, Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. Jesus, why'd you come? To seek and save the lost. That's why I'm here. That's my purpose. Uh, that's my mission. And so for our church, why do we exist? What are we all about? What's our mission? Our mission is so that people will meet Jesus and journey with him. So that people will meet Jesus and journey with him. Why are we doing this? So that people will meet Jesus and journey with Him. Why are we showing up every single week to a launch team meeting or a launch team huddle to talk about values and vision and culture for this church that doesn't even exist yet? Actually, it does because we are the church. We're becoming that. Um, it's so that people will meet Jesus and journey with Him. Why are you going to wake up early on a Sunday morning to show up to a school building or whatever building we end up meeting in to set stuff up or to get things ready for people who are going to show up on a Sunday morning so that people will meet Jesus and journey with Him? Why are you going to volunteer your time and so that people will meet Jesus and journey with Him? Why are you going to uh, learn some things you've never learned before and do some things you've never done before? Why are you going to give money? Why are you going to be generous so that people will meet Jesus and journey with Him? And the reason we're doing that is because we've met Jesus and we're journeying with him. At least I hope you are. We've met Jesus and he's changed us. He's transformed us. He's doing something in our life and we're on this journey following him, becoming more like him. And we want other people to experience what we're experiencing. So why are we doing this? It's so that people will meet Jesus and journey with him. How do we do that? We invite people to go on the journey with us. Hey, I don't have it all together. I'm still figuring this out. I'm, I'm working through this, but I'm living the example that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, follow my example as I follow Christ. So I'm following Jesus. I've met him. I'm journeying with him. Come on, follow me. Let's journey together. Why start a church? Why meet like this? Why give? Why serve? So that people will meet Jesus. People, people, people. So that your friend will meet Jesus. So that the person you work with and have all kinds of conversations about, about things going on in the world, things going on in politics, things that you're going to do this weekend, whatever it is, so that your coworker will meet Jesus and journey with him. So that your husband, so that your wife, so that your boyfriend, your girlfriend, will meet Jesus and journey with them. So that your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your cousin, the people you know and love in your life, right now who are living hopeless, who, who are living the best they know how, but they're, they're stuck in stagnation. They're just spinning their wheels. They're trying to figure it out on their own. They're following all sorts of things, money, happiness, whatever the world throws at them and says, hey, follow this, so that the people you love will meet Jesus, the one who has the life they're longing for, the one who knows them better than they know themselves, so that they'll meet Jesus and journey with him. 
That's why we're doing this. So, when you get to a point in serving in this church and giving in this church and inviting people to come be a part of this church, when you get to a point where you start to feel weary, where you start to wonder why are you even doing this, why give so much time towards this, why... Remember the people in your life who you love and you care for and remind yourself, oh, I'm doing this so that they'll meet Jesus and that they'll journey with him. And it's in those moments of weariness where you feel like throwing in the towel or you get mad about something I say or didn't say or somebody said in our church or how somebody looked at you sideways or whatever. You just stop and remember, I'm on this journey with Jesus. And that means believing the best in people, forgiving. That means working things out. That means loving. That means dropping my ego. That means I'm on this journey with Jesus. That means resting. Uh, not go, go, go all the time. I need to observe a Sabbath. I'm on this journey with Jesus. That means I need to take care of myself. Self-care and self-care is not massages and manicures, but self-care is setting up systems in your life where you have boundaries and you have margin and you're healthy and you're getting enough sleep and you're eating right and you're physically fit. That's self-care. Self-care is creating a life that you don't need to take a vacation from, but you just feel like you're on vacation all the time. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's self-care. <clears throat> But when we follow Jesus, we do all that. This isn't, I'm just on a tangent now, but um, when you get weary, when you get tired, when you feel, feel like calling it quits, when you, you just remind yourself, no, I'm doing this so that people will meet Jesus and journey with him. So that's our mission. That's why we're doing this, and that's what we are all about. Um, so, tonight, before I talk to you about what I want to talk to you about, uh, I do want to mention this. Uh, last week, we talked about our value. Uh, he and we are greater than just me. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was this moment, like I had finished everything that I wanted to share with you, and then we talked about an email. And uh, I think this is going to go down in, in the lore of, Journey Church. Um, uh, I did not want to create any neurosis in anyone where you're paranoid and freaking out like, did I get an email or not? What's happening? Are we going to get blasted? Yeah. I don't see it in search. Right, right. Should I ask someone else? So I want to just let you know and clarify. Yeah, so in that, if you don't get something or see something because it went to spam or junk, you can't, you, it's hard to be held accountable for that, right? But it, what I'm talking about is if you see something and there's a call to action, follow through on that. And not just in, in our church, but just in general, right? Just be a person who follows through, who does what you say you're going to do. But also even beyond that, even if it's not a doing what you say you're going to do, be the kind of person where people don't have to follow up with you. You hate that, don't you? You call a company or an organization and you leave a message and nobody calls you back. And then you have to reach back out and 
be be the kind of person who responds, who's on top of things. And again, if it's something that's outside of your you you didn't get it, you didn't receive it, you didn't whatever, then, you know, all right. Um, so I don't want you to live paranoid or in fear, like, ah, okay. Right. But, so, yeah. So please don't live in paranoia or fear. Now, the second thing I want to mention about that is I, uh, I love, though, the attention that's paid to it like you guys took that serious right and it's and it shows me that you take this serious and so that's that's a bigger greater message for me that you guys take this serious and so that's encouraging to me that you really want to be a part of this and this means a lot to you so uh, (laughs) right she's like i can't yeah so oh man all right, well, tonight, tonight I want to talk to you about beginning in the beginning, crossing the Red Sea, mud and sandals, uh, not taking God for granted, cursing the blessing, Elevation Church, the breakdown of a name, uh, when we take things for granted, having an expectant attitude the fact that gratitude is never silent, and if I'm grateful, I'm generous, and then do you see things as a fixed pie or there's a good God? So we got some ground to cover. Uh, In the very beginning, uh, in the book of Genesis, the scriptures teach us that God created all things by speaking it into existence. And so for everything God creates, He speaks into existence, and then afterwards he says, this is good. And then he gets to the pinnacle of his creative genius, the crown of creation. He creates a man in his own image. In the image of God, Adam is made. And when God makes Adam, he doesn't speak him into existence. Instead, he molds him from the dust of the ground. He breathes his breath into his lungs. And so there's something different, something unique about Adam. He's not spoken into existence. God takes his time to create Adam. He gets down on his hands and knees and gets his hands dirty as he molds him from the dust of the ground and then he breathes his breath in his lungs. So Adam is created, he's alive, and he has this relationship with God. And then God gives Adam a task to name all the animals in the world. And so God passes all the animals by, and Adam starts naming the animals, right? Grasshopper, anteater, deer. And I think there's a, I mean, he just, he's naming all the animals, just just popping out names. And uh, for some, he gets really creative, right? Like duckbill platypus. Like, he's just making stuff up. And I think near... Right, yeah, I don't know. And, and so, but then there's this point, I think later on, he just gets uh, bored or done, and the fly comes away. He's like, fly, right? It just flies with fly, and he's done. So he names everything in all of creation. And what the scriptures say is that Adam saw that there was no suitable helper for him. So he sees that all these different animals have a male and female, but there's no female for him. And God realizes 
and I say realizes, God already knew, but Adam needed something more, someone more. And I think God had Adam go through this exercise of naming all things in all of creation so that Adam could see just how lonely he was. There's no one for me. And he's desperate. I imagine Adam is hopeless. And then God has Adam fall asleep and he removes a rib from Adam and he takes what was already in him. Woman was already in him. He pulls woman out of him. See, Adam had everything he needed inside of him. And God pulls out what he placed in him to create this woman. Sometimes people say, oh, all you need is God. That's not true because Adam had God and he had everything he needed within him, but he needed to see it in front of him. God pulls a woman out and makes her, creates her. Adam wakes up from this sleep. And now, can you imagine Adam like waking up? He's seen everything. Grasshoppers, mosquitoes, anteaters, antelope, lions, tigers, bears, all of it. And now here's this woman in his likeness, right? And when he sees what he names her, whoa, man, right? Like he's, he's blown away. He's stunned by what he sees. And God's like, okay, if you're going to call her, okay, woman, that's, that's her name. And so, so he sees this woman. And I just imagine for Adam, having seen everything in all creation, all the animals, having named all of them, seeing there's no suitable fo- helper for him. He feels this, this depth of despair and loneliness. And now he sees this woman in front of him. He sees something he never had before. And there's no other woman in the world except Eve. I just imagine that Adam never took her for granted. Because he knew how lonely he was. He had seen all the animals in all creation. He didn't have her. And now he has this gift of a woman in front of him. And I just imagine Adam never took her for granted. Like he never, because he realized what he didn't have, and now he has this amazing woman. Like I don't think Adam was ever tempted to look at any other woman when other women were there because he here's this gift that he never had before and now he has it uh, so time passes on and uh, Adam and Eve populate the earth and uh, we get to Noah and there's this flood the earth is wicked God says I'm wiping everything out we're starting all over uh, and then he starts over with Noah and his family and then as time passes they expand and repopulate the earth and then we come to this point where God says to Abraham I'm going to bless you and from you a nation is going to come about this is the nation of Israel and so eventually Israel comes about and the Israelites are slaves in Egypt and then comes Moses and God says I want you to deliver my people from Egyptian captivity and so Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go. He doesn't want to let them go. God sends plagues to convince Pharaoh to let the people go, and then he finally lets them go. Uh, God strikes the firstborn of all the land. Uh, Moses, or Pharaoh says, 
get out of here. <laughs> Essentially, the Israelites plunder the Egyptians. They take gold and silver, everything from the Egyptians. They leave Egypt celebrating, partying. They're free now. And then they get to the Red Sea. Now, the Israelites have seen all the wonders of God take place. They've seen the, the Nile turn to blood. They've seen the plague of locusts and the plague of gnats and the plague of boils. And they've seen the hail come down and they've seen darkness come over the land. They've seen the might and the power of God. They've been delivered by God and they're being led by God by this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire at night, this pillar of cloud by day. The Israelites are seeing all this. This is great and amazing. Like this is stuff, we'd pee our pants if we saw this, right? And so the Israelites have seen this, they've witnessed this, they've experienced it, and now they're at the Red Sea. And the Egyptians, Pharaoh, thinks, I've just let all my free labor go. We gotta go get them back. He assembles his army. They come to take Israel back into captivity. And as they're pressing down on Israel, uh, the Israelites cry out. Moses cries out to God. God says, why are you crying out to me? (laughs) Because there's a sea in front of us and the Egyptians are chasing us. No, no, no. What do you have in your hand? I have a staff. Okay, put the staff in the sea. So Moses parts the Red Sea with this staff. Like, The scriptures say that the water separates and there's a wall of water on each side and the Israelites pass through this open sea. Can you imagine what it would be like to be one of these Israelites? I mean, you're there and you're passing through the Red Sea. You've seen all that God has done, the way he's delivered you, the way he's freed you, the way he's redeemed you. He's he's sending you into a new life. And now you're passing through the Red Sea and there's walls of water on each side. And through the walls of water, this is the biggest aquarium ever. You see the fish. You see the sea life all around you. I mean, this is a moment of awe and inspiration. But the rabbis tell this story that as the Israelites were passing through this amazing miracle that was happening all around them. There were these two Israelites who kept complaining because there was mud in their sandals. Like they had just been set free. They had just been redeemed. They're they're on a way to a brand new life. They're in the midst of a miracle, but all they can do is complain because there's mud in their sandals. They're, They're looking down and not all around them at everything that's going on. You know, you can sit in the midst of a miracle and miss it because you're focused on the wrong thing, right? So they pass through the Red Sea and uh, eventually they get to the promised land and they think to themselves, there's no way that we can go into this promised land. There's giants in there. We look like grasshoppers to them. There's no way we're going to be able to take take over this promised land so uh, they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years and then comes the point where they finally are about to go into the promised land 40 years has passed Moses is about to die and Joshua is going to take over and um, as Moses is about to die the book of Deuteronomy really is like 
the, the book of Moses' last years of his life. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses gives the Israelites a command, and he says this. He, he gives them a warning. He says, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Remember how he's led you all these 40 years. Remember how he's been faithful to you. To humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God has disciplined you. God has provided for you. He's made it so your clothes didn't wear out. He's given you food. He's given you water. God has been good to you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to Him and, rev and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Hey, you're about to go into this land and it's good. It's a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. You're going into a good land. God has delivered you from slavery. He's provided for you over the last 40 years, and now you're inheriting a good, good land. Now, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He's given you. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He's given you. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He's given you. Be careful that you don't forget your Lord, or the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and drink and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, when things are going well for you, when you're sitting high and pretty, if you forget God, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. If you forget him, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods in worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. 
Now, as they're about to enter into the land, Moses says, hey, when you go into this land and things are good with you and you have your fill, remember, praise the Lord. Be grateful. Remember where it all came from. Don't forget God. It's all a gift. Don't forget. Remember. Praise. Give thanks. Say thank you for what you've given me. Now imagine the Israelites are hearing this and they're like, of course we're going to do that. We're not going to forget him. Of course we're going to be grateful. Of course we're going to praise him. We know where it all came from. We remember. And then here's what God says in Deuteronomy 31. Now write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. When I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promise on oath to their ancestors, and when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they are disposed to be or to do even before I bring them into the land I promised them on oath. So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. God says through Moses, and Moses gives them this warning in Deuteronomy 8, when you enter into this good land, don't forget what God has done. Be grateful. In Deuteronomy 31, several chapters later, God says, you're going to forget me. I already know what you're going to do. The Israelites may very well be saying, no, we're never going to do that. But if you read through the rest of the Old Testament, you see they do exactly what God said, he was gonna, God said they were going to do. I say all this because you and I are prone to take things for granted. You and I are prone to not be grateful. There's just something in us. And we have to be aware of that. We have to know that. Because if we aren't aware of that, if we think, no, it'll never happen to me, no, whatever, then we're setting ourselves up for failure. Because for the Israelites who saw the miracles of God take place in Egypt, for the Israelites who were led through the desert for 40 years, for the Israelites who saw the Red Sea part, for the Israelites who inherited this good, good land, they still took it for granted. They weren't grateful. Gratitude is vital when it comes to our relationship with God, but gratitude is vital for how we live and how we view the world. I, um, I remember, and I've had a lot of conversations with people, and um, I was trying to think through, is, is there a conversation like that just sums all of it up? And I couldn't think of one instance um, with specifics uh, where I've had this conversation. So, so I'll just kind of mesh a, a lot of the conversations I've had with people into one. Um, and, and, and some of the conversations I've, I've had have looked like this. And so, so what I mean, like, um, like I was talking to this guy, once and um, 
asking, you know, like, how's, how, how's work going, right? And it's like, oh, it's terrible. Like, my boss, like, we, my boss tells me to do th things a certain way, but he, he doesn't really know what he's doing. Like, I'm smarter than he is. I know better. And, um, you know, I went in and I was asking for a raise, and this guy, he gets paid more than I do, and I know more than him. And he's, you know, and so, but they didn't give me a raise. And it's just, it, it sucks because I'm going in early, I'm working late, um, and my coworkers are morons, and um, uh, so there's that, right? There's that piece to the conversation, and then okay, gotcha. Well, how's um, how's marriage? How's life? How's kids? How's uh, kids are crying? You know, like we just had a baby, and so we're staying up. We're not getting enough. We're not getting sleep, uh, and then a kid doesn't listen. They just do whatever they want, and um, I was had had them in. He my, he was in this baseball game, and he kept striking out. Like I was telling him, keep running the ball, and he just wasn't listening. And you know, uh, there's that, and then um, you know, bills are bills are tight. Things are tough right now. Um, we got so much debt. We got a car we're paying for. We got house we're paying for, we've got utilities, all this stuff, and um, like as I hear these conversations that I just summed up kind of into one, what I, what I hear is like, oh, you're just missing it. You're missing it. Wait, 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 you have a job? You have a job? Because there, for, first you have a job. There are people who would love to have your job, maybe not right now in this <laughs> in this economy in this world where people get money, but uh, but wait, you have a you have a job. Like there are ten people who would love to have your job. At least you have a job. Wait, wait, wait. You get paid to to do the work that you do because there are people who live on less than a dollar a day in this world, right? I mean, you get a job where they pay you. To do what you do, and and you, wait, you drive, to, so you have a car, right? And so there's some people in this world they don't have a car, and then, and then you, you're you're married, and, and you have you have kids, you have kids, you have kids. I mean, there are people who have been praying for kids for years, and your kids are healthy, like like they're playing sports. There, do you see, and, and, and wait, and, and you woke up this morning, and you're breathing on your own volition, and you're able to, to walk, and you're able to drive, and you're, it, do you see, like, all of it is a gift. I mean, everything you have is a gift, all of it, all of it, that you woke up today. Some people planned on waking up today, and they didn't. It's a gift. It's a gift. The very next breath out of your lungs, it's a gift. It's a gift. One of the things I remember being told when we first had Amaya was, yeah, your baby's going to cry. 
they're gonna keep you up, they're gonna poop, and they're gonna, and it's tough. Like, I remember telling Irene, because Amaya would cry a lot, a lot. I think she was colicky, I don't know. In the middle of the night, at two in the morning, I just remember walking back and forth with her as she cried. <laughs> And I, I told Irene, like, I, w I wouldn't do this, but I know why kids would, sh why parents would shake their kids mm -hmm. from the exhaustion and the frustration and the please just go to sleep so that I can sleep. And it's, oh, can't, like, it gets to a point where it's like, I'm done with this. I put her in the car seat and we went for a drive in the car until she fell asleep. And it was late at night and I came back. We didn't take her out of the car seat, I said here. We sat her down and we just, I was, oh, right. But I remember somebody telling me, don't curse your blessings. Like, there are people who would love to have kids. There are people who would love to stay up at two in the morning, pacing with their crying kid. There are people who would, oh man, it would be a blessing for them. Kids are a blessing. Don't curse your blessings. It's interesting that you bring this up. Today would have been the third birthday of one of my best friends, little baby. Yeah. She was still Yeah, yeah. So, it's about how you see things, right? It's about how you see things. It's all a gift. All of it. It's a gift. It's a gift. And if you see all of life as a gift, the fact that I woke up, the very next breath that I'm going to breathe, the family that I have, no matter how dysfunctional, no matter how crazy, no matter how the people that you work with and the pay that you get, and the, it's all a gift. It's a gift. And I think when we begin to see things from this mindset that it's all a gift, then we begin to be grateful for what we have, right? Yeah, so it's all a gift. It's all a gift. Um, and you know, when you, when you are around something for too long, you can start to take it for granted. Uh, I remember... Years ago, uh, we went to Elevation Church, and I took a group of our launch team down there. It's in Charlotte, North Carolina, about six hours away. And uh, we drove there to spend the weekend there and to learn from this church. And uh, we would take a group of people to Life, uh, Life Point Church in Fredericksburg. Um, and uh, a couple of years ago, I flew out to Colorado. Or, no, we drove to Colorado. Uh, no, to, no, we flew out to Colorado to uh, Flatirons Church to learn from them. And then um, a couple of years ago, we, me and Dave, we drove out to uh, Ohio. Uh, Ohio, Cincinnati, to uh, visit Crossroads Church and just learn from them. And these are churches that we're, we're driving to to learn from. And a church like Elevation is one where people fly from all over the world to, to learn from them and see what they do. I mean, people come from all countries to go to Elevation to to experience that and see what, what they're doing and, and learn from them. But here's what I found fascinating 
is that for all the times that we would drive there and make trips to go there, there were people who lived there, had Elevation right there in their backyard who were part of Elevation Church and woke up on Sunday morning and asked, should we go to church or not? Right, it was right there in their backyard. There were people who would show up to church every once in a while, right? Because they're so familiar with it. It's, it's right there in their backyard. And I found the same to be true with our church. Like, people would come uh, and learn from our church. Other churches, other church planters who were starting churches would come to our church and figure out, what are you guys doing? And, and ask these questions. And then there would be people who would move away, who were part of our church, and they'd move away, and they'd stay in touch. And they'd be like, this is so great. I love it. I'm finding life here. But then I found that there were people, too, who like just were casual attenders. And one of the things that I want to make sure that we instill in our church now is that we won't take this for granted. We won't take this for granted. We won't become so familiar with it that we take it for granted. Because when you become familiar with something, you start to dishonor it. Honor is assigning high value to something. Dishonor is not treating something bad, but it's just treating something as common. And so if I show honor, I show high value. Um, if Justin Bieber called me and left a message, I give him a call right back if, I, if he left his number. I'm like, oh man, hey, you get your peaches down to Georgia. Right, yeah, exactly, right? Um, that, that's that. Anyway, uh, anyway, so if Tom Brady called me up, I'm like, oh man, let me, sorry guys, I'll be right back. Because um, I got to talk to Tom Brady. There's high value there. There's honor. That, why you go to Tampa Bay? We need you back in New England. Um, so, so that's honor. Honor is treating something as valuable. Dishonor is treating something as common. Um, when you're around something for so long, when something becomes too familiar, you start to dishonor it. You treat it as common, like it's no big deal. And maybe you experience this in your dating life when you're dating somebody, maybe dating your wife, dating your husband, whatever it is. Like you got them flowers, you open the door for them, you plan out dates, you couldn't wait. But then after you got married for five, six, eight years, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, we're together. <laughs> and you start to treat them as common and you don't assign that value like you used to. It's one of the reasons why affairs happen, because people treat their spouse as common and not as special anymore. It's one of the reasons why people come to a church and say, this is so life-giving, this is so life-changing, this is altering for me, it's transforming for me, it's amazing, and then a year in, two years in, three years in, it just becomes church. They start to take it for granted, and then it loses its power. And it's not that the church changes, that you changed. You started to dishonor what you should be honoring. I never want for us to take this move of God for granted. Because like the two guys who are walking through the Red Sea complaining, we can be sitting in the midst of a miracle and miss it 
because we're looking at the wrong thing. And there have been times in church where I've, I've heard people complain about things. At the same time, I get to have conversations with people who are saying how they're coming back to God, how they're overcoming alcohol addiction, how their marriage is being healed. And it's like, here's two different people in the same church experiencing two different things. It can't be the church's fault. It's all about how we see things. It's a gift. It's a mindset. It's a lens through which you view things. So, the breakdown of a name. Uh, your name has three parts. First, middle, last. Right? Um, your first name is who you are. It's your identity. It's what sets you apart. And it's what we all know. Like, people know your first name more than anything. Uh, so your first name makes you unique, who you are. It's your identity. Your last name uh, ties you to something bigger, something grander, because your mom and dad share that last name. Your, your aunts, uncles share that last name. The, the people in your family, in your clan, in your tribe share that last name. So your last name is also your identity, but it connects you to something bigger. Your middle name, not many people know. And sometimes it's really weird, <laughs> right? But your middle name is a name hardly anybody knows, but it's still part of you. It's still your identity. And your middle name is in the middle. It's in the center. It's like the core of who you are, even though you may not go by it or even think about it very much. It's just kind of, it's there, the core, the middle, the center of who you are. Your first name identifies you, makes you unique. That's who you are. Your last name identifies you, connects you to something bigger. Your middle name, it's still who you are, and it's unspoken, and it's the core of who you are. Journey is our first name. It identifies who we are as a church. It's what makes us unique. It sets us apart from other churches, right? Church is our last name. It's our identity. It connects us with the bigger tribe, the clan, the church worldwide. I don't know if you know this or not, but Journey Church has a middle name. And gratitude is our middle name. If you guys have read the email, you know that. This is, and this is, this is the value. This is the value I'm focusing on. Gratitude is our middle name. We want to be the kind of people, the core of who we are. And we might not come right out and say it, but we want to be the kind of people who are grateful. We're grateful. We will not take this for granted. We're grateful. We're not going to complain. It's all a gift that we get to do this. When you have an attitude of gratitude, your mindset shifts from have to to get to. I have to serve this Sunday. No, no, no. I get to. What an honor, what a privilege it is for me to serve this Sunday. Uh, I have to give our tithe. No, 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 I get to return the tithe back to God. What an honor, what a privilege it is. Right? You would never say that. Well, I have to go on vacation. Like it's a chore. And maybe you're like, I have to because you're needing it. And in that case, you're not taking care of yourself like you need to and you got to escape from your life. Don't create a life you got to escape from. Um, but... Oh man, I get to go on vacation. It's going to be great. We want to we be the kind of people who live from a get to, not a have to. 
And for us to live from a get to, not a have to, we got to live with gratitude. It's all a gift. It's all a gift. So, um, as we think about gratitude, I want to remind you, too, that gratitude is never silent. (laughs) Gratitude is our middle name. It's just who we are. It's how we operate. And gratitude is never silent. And so if you're grateful for something, you share it. You don't keep it to yourself. Well, I was grateful in my head. Well, they didn't know that. You tell somebody, thank you. We want to be the kind of people who say, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. And when you're grateful, it will eradicate complaining from your vocabulary, eradicate vocabulary from everything. We do not want to be the kind of people who complain. Um, And if you have a complaint, fix it. Figure it out. Find a new way. But we're grateful. And gratitude is never silent. Gratitude is our middle name. Um, It also means that we have an expectant attitude. Because if I'm grateful for something, I'm going to show up expecting and I can't wait. Uh, Me and Irene are going to go to see Alanis Morissette in 10 days. um, And she's super stoked about it. And I'm stoked as well um, in support. But she's showing up. I think she's going to bring a harmonica and everything. She's excited. She has an expectant attitude. We're grateful that we got these tickets. And we're grateful that we have this opportunity. So we're showing up expectant. Um, we never want to take anything for granted. So when we show up on a Sunday morning, when we start meeting on Sunday mornings, we want to show up expectant and ready. Not, I have to go to church. I have to serve. I have to do this again. I have, I get to do this. How awesome is it that I get to do this? We're doing this so that people will know Jesus and journey with him. Come on, let's go. I can't wait. I'm grateful to be a part of a community like this. I'm grateful to be part of a movement like this. I'm grateful to be used by God this way. That's how we want to be as a people and as a church. Gratitude is our middle name. And then finally, if I'm grateful, I'm generous. If I'm grateful, I'm generous. One of the things God told the people of Israel was remember where it all came from. Remember who gave it to you. And right there in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he said, if you forget that, if you take me for granted, if you think it all came from you, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. God gives us the ability to produce wealth. And God has given everything we have to us, our life, our breath, our family, our health, even our resources. And when I'm grateful, I express that through praise and thanks, but I'm also generous. God, you've given me everything I have. And so because of that, I'm going to return the first 10% back to you. Because if I don't do that, then I think it's all mine. But God said, no, I want you to return the first 10% back to me as a reminder to you where it all came from. So you'll always remember that I gave it to you. And that's a good deal. God says, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you. Um, everything you have 
and I'm gonna let you keep 90% of it. That's a good deal. We would take that deal. 10% isn't a lot. You know it's not a lot. Because if I told you there was a sale going on at the outlet mall this weekend, 10% off, you'd be like, I'm not going to that. I'm staying home. Exactly. Why? Because 10%, 10% isn't a lot. But when it comes to, okay, well, I'm going to give it, now it, all of a sudden it becomes a lot. I was just thinking, um, I mean, if you just look at it, uh, 10% of $10 is $1. That does seem like a lot, $1 out of 10 10% out of 100 is only 10 bucks. That doesn't seem like as much, I think. 10% of $10,000 is $1,000. You still get $9,000. How great is that? That's a lot of money. God lets us keep the 90% that he gives us. And so because we're grateful, we're generous. And here's how we view generosity. Generosity really is about a mindset and how you view the world. And so the question is, do you view the world as a fixed pie where there's only so much to go around and I have to get mine? And if I don't get mine, somebody else is going to get it because there's only so much to go around. And if I have less, somebody else has more. So I have to get as much as I can and hold on to it and keep it. So I'd love to give, but I can't. I can't afford to give. Let me tell you, you can't afford not to give. I can't afford to give. I don't have enough. I need more, more, more. Surveys and studies have been done where um, people have asked, how much would be enough for you? And they always say it's more. And even the people who have what the people say would be good for them, they say they need more. We always need more and want more. So the question is, do you view the world as a fixed pie? There's only so much to go around. Or do you view the world as one that's governed by a good God who's constantly giving gifts and he's pouring out his blessings and he wants to bless you and he wants to give you more. But the question is, are you able to receive it? Well, if I hold on to it and I grab hold of it and my hands are full of all the stuff that I have, when he tries to pour more in, I can't receive it. So in order for me to receive the blessings God wants to give me, I have to give it away. I have to open my hands to receive more. And when God sees that I'm generous, when God sees that he can trust me with what he's given to me, he'll provide even more. If I entrust something to someone, and they prove faithful with it, and I know now that I can trust them with what I've entrusted to them, then I will want to give them more. But if I entrust something to someone and they mismanage it, they don't handle it right, they don't do what I've said to do with it, then I'm not going to trust them with more, right? Instead, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna give that to somebody else. So God is looking to say, I've entrusted you with what you have. Can I trust you with it? Will you return it back? Do you realize where it all came from? So gratitude is our middle name. We never want to take this for granted. 
We always want to be grateful for the move of God that's taking place in our midst. We always want to look to see the life changes happening. We want to praise God for it. We want to thank God for all the gifts that He's given us. We want to realize tomorrow when we wake up, God, this is your day. This is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, I'm going to give this day to you as a gift because you've given it to me as a gift and I'm going to be grateful for it. I'm not going to complain about it. God, thank you for this job that I got. Thank you for this boss that I got. Thank you for this family that I got. Thank you for the resources that I got. Thank you for everything you've given me and I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to make the best of it because that's up to me because gratitude is my middle name and I'm grateful for all of it. So that's who we are and that's how we want to be. Not just as a church, but as people. Because you can just see how much better your life would be if you lived grateful for everything. All of it, all of it, all of it is a gift. How much better would your intimate life be if you realize that your spouse was a gift? How much better would your job be? How much better would your work ethic be? How much better would your determination be, your motivation be, if you realize that your job was a gift? How much more content would you be with your house, with your car, with your finances, if you realize it's all a gift? Our life gets better when we show gratitude. And we have no choice to show gratitude because gratitude it's our middle name. All right. That's what I got. What, um, as we wrap up, what do you think about that? What stood out to you? What do you like? What don't you like? Yeah. Yeah, so we give a tenth of our resources. Mm -hmm. So that would be, um, for us, yeah, so it would be finances. It used to be a lamb. Right. But it, it, it didn't, Yeah. So in an agricultural society like Israel, they would give a tenth of their grain, a tenth of their uh, animals, a tenth of their, their resources. For us, our resources isn't grain or, like, don't give me a loaf of... 10 bread like you know it's a so we return the tithe back to God through the local church and what we see in the Old Testament is that people return the tithe the first the first 10% of what they received to the house of God as a storehouse that would provide for the Levites who are the and the priests uh, who did God's work and then uh, it also helped the poor in the land and it helped the work of God continue on. Um, so today we bring the first 10% of our income back to God through the local church to advance His kingdom. Is it like 10% every check? Or <laughs> yeah. I love your thought process right now. Really, like, That's sorry, good. Like, I, You're asking really great questions. That's no great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the first 10% is what, what I bring. So uh, if you get paid, um, 
let's say you get paid. Uh, I don't. I don't have it on. I don't have hundred dollar bills on me. But let's say you get paid a thousand dollars. You have ten one hundred dollar bills. One hundred dollars is a tithe, right? You get paid a thousand dollars out of those ten one hundred dollar bills. Which one is the tithe? The tithe is the first one you give. The tithe is the first and the best. So the tithe the, is not what's left over. It's the nice hundred dollar bill. It's the crispy right. one, not the wrinkly one. Yeah. So what you do is, and the purpose for the tithe being the first is it increases our faith. So I got my paycheck. The first thing to come out of my paycheck is the tithe. And God, I'm trusting you for the rest. Not... I got my paycheck. I'm going to live on all this and I'm going to see what's left over. Here you go, God. Here's what's left over. Because we give dogs leftovers, not God. I've done that a lot. God. Yeah. So, where do you want yeah. the lambs delivered? Yeah. Right. <laughs> see, when you read the Bible, and, you hear about lambs. That's, yeah. That, that, that was money back then. And we could get that confused because God and dog are spelled the same just backwards. And sometimes we think God is a dog, so we give him our leftovers. But God says, no, give me your first and your best. So we bring that first 10% back to God. So, when, so practically, when, when I get paid, I have it so automatically the tithe comes out of my paycheck. Um, and I don't even, like it, it goes to the church. Um, and so that's, that's how we do it. Um, sometimes people have uh, fluctuating paychecks, and so you just look at it week to week, and, or whenever you get paid, and then you return the tithe that way. Yeah, so it's the first 10% so every of your pay income. Period. Every pay period, yeah. So you don't want to wait at the end of the month, because then you want right. to flip up. Cause I've done that. And that's also the leftovers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. But, but that's once, a great question. Once you start, the first time for me and my family when we first started doing it, it was hard. Yeah. But then we got on a budget, figured it out. But then, at, like now, I don't even feel it. Yeah. It's just, it, it's just nothing. It's and your life. Yeah. How's your life? Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, better. Blessings. Galore. Yeah. Galore. Once us, once we, once we started really giving tithing and then also time, it just, just life changed. Yeah. And what tithing does too is it teaches you to be more disciplined with your money because you'll realize, oh, I'm giving the, I'm giving 10% like I wasn't before. I need to get on a budget. I need to manage my money better. I need to, and then you'll feel like you got a raise. Because you'll realize I was spending money where I didn't need to spend money on. Or I was saying yes to Netflix. I was saying yes to Cox Cable and no to God. Sometimes people say, well, I can't, I can't give. I don't have enough money. But you pay $110 to Cox Cable. You pay, um, I can't even think. You got Amazon, Starbucks, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, there you go. And then, and then... And what it is, is when it comes to money and finances, it shows us where our priorities are. And so I can't, I don't have enough to give to God, but I do have enough to give to Xbox and this and this and this and this. Oh, well, hold on then. So you're saying that's more important 
than God. And so what you do is you get your priorities straight. You say, I'm going to give to God first, and then what's left over, I'm going to see if Xbox can have it, or Amazon can have it, or Starbucks can have it, you know? So it's just getting our priorities right. That's, that's what it is. It's like a win-win. It's like it's all that for us, but it's, I mean, it's also ultimately for us to carry out our mission. You know, for us to introduce people to Jesus and for people to be journeying with Jesus, like, we need churches for that movement, right? Well, ch churches need resources to move. Yeah. You know, so, so there's that. And then the other thing I discovered from tithing is when you give $100, $500, it adds up throughout the year, $1,000 for something. State. It's amazing the amount of ownership you feel when you just gave that much to something. The amount yeah. of ownership you just now felt by giving so much to something. So it's it's just like a way of taking complete ownership too. So I think I mean I think God you know he, he knew a few things when he came up with the whole time yeah. idea. That's pretty clever. Makes you want to give more too. That would be yeah that would be the offering. That's the, when you hear the yeah. term offering. That's above the ten percent. If someone goes in and says I'm gonna give twelve percent. Well, then there's an offering there. Yeah. I find that teaches, teaches you to trust God with the rest. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. There's so much in it. Yeah. Because my whole life is cracking open. I can just tell you it's getting better and better. So that the thing, like you said, too, makes a lot of sense is when you make more, it's a little harder. Oh, it's way harder. Because it's easier. Way harder. I'm making peanuts right now, right? So I can give the peanuts. It's pretty easy. You know, while I'm starting. Peanuts are over. 10% of the mall don't sound like much. Ten percent of a and then but I have had situations like that like, Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now if I started making hundred thousand dollars, I will totally give that ten thousand mm -hmm. dollars. I have no issue. See and you say that and you say that, but it's it's amazing right, how you know, write that check for ten grand. Yeah. Go ahead, Jeremy, what what were you saying? No, I mean it, it's it's funny you'd say that and you would tell yourself like, Man, if I made a hundred thousand I'd give if I made two hundred thousand, I'd definitely give twenty. You know, but what happens sometimes with us as humans when we make more, we spend more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, and, then, and then my cash flow isn't that much more. Or even though I make a hundred grand instead of sixty grand now, my cash flow—it's about the same. I'm about as broke as I was then. So it's, really, it's, it's actually harder for me now to give more yeah. to church than what I was giving. You know, so I just—I I know I've just been the whole tithing thing is just such a, a beneficial thing for us and for our church. That, um, I think what is really—it's. Um, it's a first, it's a more of a personal thing. Like, I grew up um, extremely poor. Yeah. So, like, we had everything, and then my dad left, and we had nothing. And when you grow up poor and you have to eat your own meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for months, not days straight, is oatmeal. You, when you get older, it's a, it's a, it is a yeah. Like how you're talking about like those people that don't know when you're gonna have your next meal and stuff like that, you know? You are grateful for that kind of stuff, but it puts a fear in you. Yeah. Like like he can tell you like I I we support I support not we. I support food because I would be terrified that what if you got kicked out of the navy? What if we lost our what if something happened? Right. How are we gonna eat? Because and I still think like that. And that's like it is a personal thing because I do think like if I give that money and something happens, where are we gonna be? Because I know what it's like when you're in that B. But you have us now. Yeah. yeah. You know, and when you have kids and stuff like that, that anxiety, thank you, that 
anxiety like builds pent up yeah. because when it's just you, mm-hmm. you know, and I've right. been homeless before I met my husband. I was homeless on the streets of Philadelphia. I know what it's like, and I couldn't have kids. They said I couldn't have kids. I know all of those hardships. 